10. Third John, verse 9 and 10, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing it is to be in your house today. We thank you for uh, the beautiful weather that you've given to us, to be able to travel in. Lord, we pray for those that could not be with us today due to uh, travels themselves, that their uh, the Pelicans are gone traveling, and, and uh, Brother Boone, I believe, also is gone. But uh, many are sick today. Many of the Boone family is sick, and Megan and Owen and Brother Chris, uh, Brother Theo and Tristan, uh, the Walders. Father, I pray that you would uh, bless these families. I pray that you will work in their uh, lives physically, Lord, and help them to get over the sickness. Uh, for sister, uh, sister Trish as well. Father, not just still not doing well. We just ask, Father, for your hand of uh, mercy on their lives. I pray that you would just raise them back up and allow them to, to be back in your house very soon. We thank for the opportunity that we have this morning to study your word. We study the doctrine of the church. I pray that you would bless our hearts and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Last week we I started looking at the government of a New Testament church. And you know, what is a scriptural church government? We looked at three elements: uh, the headship of Christ, the rule of pastors, and the consent of the congregation. And today we're going to look at uh, different forms of government. Um, and the departure from the scriptures. And in our text this morning that we started off with, uh, which is under number two in your, on your notes, under uh, Roman numeral two, ecclesiastical forms of government, uh, the history of departure is letter A. We're going to go down through that, uh, starting there this morning. And looking, first of all, that we consider Judaism as it started being corrupted. I mean, after when the Jews rejected Christ and they continued on with their traditions, continued on uh, in uh, the traditions of men, which drew people away from the commandments of God, Christ c- condemned them for that. Uh, but even a lot within the churches were affected by, by that. We see the, the council in, in Acts 15 that took place, uh, Paul dealing with it in the book of Galatians. Uh, dealing with this false doctrine coming in, but the mod, the Old Testament model that we have with the Jewish religion is one that uh, we could call sacralism, and where there's one nation and one faith, and that was with the one nation, a nation. Uh, I don't have a copy of your notes, so what? what um, <laughs> one nation and one faith. Yes. Yes, if I skip over, because I don't have a copy of your notes, I forgot to bring a copy up here with me, so I just have my notes, and I think I have everything labeled here that's on your notes, but just in case I don't, if I skip over something, don't hesitate to ask. So one nation and one faith. Uh, 
And we see this. We have state religions. Uh, with, we had the Roman Catholic Church and the development of that into a, a state religion where in Germany. What was the state religion in Germany? Okay, Luther, uh, Luther and then Lutheranism became the state religion. Uh, in England, became the Church of England after Henry VIII didn't want to be a Catholic anymore because he wanted to, to remarry, so he started his own church. Uh, that became the state religion there. Uh, but we, have a, we see developments of that uh, in the Bible. Number two, in, on your notes, Nicolaitanism, we see a description of that in Third John. If you look over to Revelation 2, uh, we see Christ condemning this. Revelation 2 and verse number 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Uh, so the, the Nicolaitans. Uh, the word, anyone know what the word Nicholas, what, um, what's the, what does that word mean, the name Nicholas? Anyone? Uh, it means uh, to rule or to have victory. Uh, you think about the word laity. What is laity? I don't like the word laity, but what, what is the word laity? Lay people, uh, people in general, um, but it became to be termed towards the laity. Just the common people in, in a church. And Nicolaitanism is to, the, the term means to rule over the people. So you had uh, men such as uh, in Third John, such as Diotrephes, who loved to have the preeminence. They wanted to have rule over people. Uh, they wanted to, to have that authority over people. And so this, there was a rise uh, with this false doctrine, this false practices, a rise of a dominant clergy class. Uh, those that separate themselves off, we're part of the clergy, you're part of just the common people, uh, we're part of the priesthood, you're just part of those that had nothing to do with the priesthood, you just have to kind of stand back and watch us serve God. That was kind of the mindset uh, that started coming up, started growing, and you had the separation between the, the clergy and the laity. And I can't stand those terms. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, not, I'm not part of the clergy. Uh, and you're not laity. I mean, sometimes we use, I might use a term like that just because that's kind of in our minds. I try not to. I try to catch myself. If I ever use those terms, forgive me. Uh, uh, usually I won't use the word clergy, but I might use the word laity. Uh, but not on purpose, uh, usually. Uh, but those terms are separating people. Here you have those that are with it. These are those that these are God's special people. These are the ones that God's going to talk to. These are the God's ones that God's going to work through. Uh, if you want to get to God, then you really need to have these people on your side. You need to pray to them. You need to go through them. Uh, they can intercede for you. Instead of what does the Bible teach? Uh, what is every Christian? Okay, we're all kings and priests. Okay, we're, we had the priesthood of the believer. You don't have to go through a man. 
uh, to, to go to God, you, you go directly to God. Uh, you can pray directly to God. You don't need to go through a man to do that. Can you ask men and women to pray for you? Certainly. Uh, but it's not, uh, and we, we don't do that because we don't think that we can pray. We don't do that because we don't think we have access to God. If, if you do, you're wrong. You do have, if you're God's child, you have access freely uh, to God as a believer. So we don't need to go through, a, uh, through the clergy, uh, through a certain group. So you have this Nicolaitanism, sorry, Nicolaitanism growing, uh, which was condemned by Christ, this rise of those that would rule over the people. And as that class started growing, and there was a separation between the clergy and the laity, we see that really kind of developing in the second century. And then in the third century, you had, even among the clergy, separation starting to take place. Because you had pastors in small churches, small places, small hamlets, where it would be pretty impossible for that church to grow uh, very big. If you're, in a, if you're in a town of 200, you're not going to have a church of 2,000. Yes. Yeah. And they are taking the place of God in the confessional, forgiving the sins in that. Right. Yeah. And so you had, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you remember when, how many of you here remember Brother L. Wells? Do you, while he was here, one of, one of the times he was here preaching, and I don't know if he said this from the pulpit or it may have been just at a meal, um, but he was describing a meeting he was preaching at in Colorado a big preacher's meeting at some place, and there was 200 preachers there. And one of, the, one of the big name preachers that was there was Jack Hiles. And so he was there. And during the meal, they were eating in a cafeteria-type place, and there was, um, they, there was a stage. I'm not sure it was a school that they were meeting at, but there was a stage, and there were tables up on the stage, and then there were tables down lower. The tables up on the stage weren't for everyone. Not everyone was invited to eat up on the stage, but Jack Howells was up there, and the, some of the other big-name preachers were up there. And, and uh, Brother Wells was there, and he got his meal, and he was coming down to you know, sit and eat a meal. And, and uh, Jack Howells said to him, hey, Brother Wells, come on up here and, and uh, sit up here with us, and you know, let's talk. And, and Brother Wells set his food down on a table down below and went up on stage to talk to, to Jack Howells. And Hiles had been there in one of his meetings, one of the messages. He was preaching and just telling the, the pastors, if, you know, if you're not running 200 people in your church, you're, you're, you're out of God's will. You're not doing God's work. You're, you're being lazy as a pastor. And Brother Wells got up there, and in his, if, you, if you know him, he's not very um, discreet. <laughs> he doesn't care if people hear. And so probably in his stage whisper, uh, he... Uh, told him, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Here you have men that are, that are preaching in towns of, you know, 150 people, and you're expecting them to have a church of 200 people, and that if they don't have that, they're not doing their job, where they're, they're more of a pastor than you are. And then he went back and sat down with the laity. He went down to the lower class. But this, this, this idea, this ranking started to grow. So you had bishops, pastors that were over in larger cities, that had 
huge populations and where those churches grew to be very large. And they started becoming known as uh, the Metropolitans or Metropolitan Bishops. And so those pastors became uh, more powerful than the other pastors of smaller churches. And they started uh, kind of taking power, authority, telling these smaller churches and these smaller pastors what they should be doing. And this rivalry developed between Rome and uh, Constantinople. And we won't get into all the history of that. You can look at that, look at that history. We're going to just hit, hit some of this history on your sheet there. I mean, actually, I don't even think I have these, these on your sheet. Um, so you have this, this growing over the centuries and this development of a hierarchy uh, among churches, hierarchy among uh, what later be, what developed into the Roman Catholic Church. But starting off, really the first uh, real pope in that system was uh, Leo I, from 440 to 460 A.D. Uh, Gregory I, from 590 to 604, uh, was kind of first pope in our, in our modern sense of what a pope is. He kind of fits that. Uh, Hildebrand, uh, in 1073, what, had some more power. Innocent III, very powerful pope, uh, 1160 to 1216. Uh, one that instigated a lot of uh, persecution uh, under him. So you had this development going on. Then you had those that uh, came out of that, protested against that. You have Luther, you have Calvin, you have others leaving the Roman Catholic Church, leaving that hierarchy and starting the Protestant uh, churches. And, but still a lot of these same thoughts holding on. And so you have a lot of different forms of government, and you have a chart in your notes of different forms of government. Uh, you have autocratic, the rule of one. Uh, so the Roman Catholic Church would be a, a, just kind of a picture of that where you have the Pope as the, the head of that and then a lot of uh, hierarchy underneath them before you get down to the common person. Uh, we have quite a large structure there. Uh, you have the oligarchical uh, structure, the rule of a few. Uh, Eastern Orthodox churches with their aristocratic form, Episcopalian or Anglican Church of England, uh, Episcopal Church, you have the rule of, of bishops, uh, the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church, we have a Presbyterian, a lot of the pastors that come together and they form different forms of government. And a lot of these have really changed uh, over the years uh, as all these different groups have split multiple times. And there's different whole de denominations, multiple denominations of these um, where you have you know, the L Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, you have the Lutheran Church, uh, there's another big one, I can't remember the name of it now. Um, you have these different denominations within these where they split off and they've, they've changed their government in one way or another. But in all these, a Methodist church, uh, you have you know, the United Methodist Church being the largest group. But again, a lot of smaller groups. 
Uh, and with all of these, you have examples of abuse, of authority. And just one example, just here at the Methodist Church down the road here, Bethel, they're a United Methodist Church for years. And if you noticed recently, they changed their sign. Now it just says um, Wildwood, uh, Bethel Church, Wildwood, or something like that. It's, it's an independent Methodist church. And they became independent. They sued to get out of the United Methodist Church because United Methodist Church said, uh, we're going to bring in a lesbian, and she's going to be your new pastor. Uh, and we're going to be promoting these things. And they said, no, you're not going to do that. This is our church, and you're not going to do that. And, uh, but that's what they do. They, you don't get to choose. As a pastor in the United Methodist Church, you don't choose where you want to pastor at. Uh, they tell you where you're going to pastor at, and they'll move you here and there. And when we were in Fossil, there was a Methodist church there. There was a, a man that was pastoring there. I can't remember his name. Uh, he was there for a few years, and then they moved him out, and they brought a woman in, and she was pastoring there. Uh, she may still be there, although she's pretty old. Um, they, didn't, they didn't pick. They didn't choose. The congregation didn't choose. Uh, the, the denomination chose who was going to pastor in those places. That the third group on your chart is the congregational, uh, the rule of many, so you have historic congregational churches, and then you have New Testament churches, Bible-believing churches, uh, and how the, you know. Again, we we mentioned last week, you can have scriptural government within a church, different churches, different areas of the, of the world that do things differently, but still within the scriptural bounds. And so the Bible is that authority by which we need to, to follow. And so we go on to looking at this next section, number th- letter or, uh, Roman numeral three, uh, the independency and interdependency of New Testament churches. Uh, letter A, connectivity. Churches beget churches. On numbers one through four, do I have a blanks on that section? On your notes? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, stage one elevation of the clergy class was the second century. Stage two was the third century. And stage three, no, no, yeah, no blanks there, so, okay. Churches beget churches. That's what we see in, in the Bible. Churches beget churches. Um, and that's from the Great Commission. We have, the, we have the responsibility to go out and preach the gospel to every creature. We're to baptize those that believe. We're to disciple them. Teach them all things whatsoever Christ has commanded us. And so we had new churches starting from other churches. Uh, we had the Jerusalem church. And who started the church in that first church in Jerusalem? Who built that church? Starts with a J. 
not John or Judas, the Lord, okay, Jesus, okay? Uh, so Christ built that church. Um, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Uh, Christ started that first church, built that first church. Uh, as far as the beginning point, uh, I place it when he called his disciples together, and from those he chose 12 and called them apostles. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says that he put first in the church apostles. So uh, that's where I take it from. Some people say it started when Christ was uh, called Peter and James and John and said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Some people start it then. I started when they when he named them apostles and sent them out to preach. But it was during his ministry. He started that first church. And then from there, a persecution arose. Uh, the churches were scattered. And they weren't, the word scattered that we see there in the book of Acts uh, is the word for sowing, like sowing seed. And the from there, they went out preaching the word, and other churches were started. The uh, main one that we see uh, started was the church at Antioch, and that was started out of the Jerusalem church. We see that in Acts 11, verses 19 to 21. And then from there, they sent out men. They sent out Paul and Barnabas. Uh, and we had the missionary journeys of, of Paul and Barnabas, and then Paul and Silas. And we see a lot of other churches starting, uh, one of those being the church at Ephesus in Acts 18, in Acts 19. So we had that church in Ephesus, and then from there, uh, the gospel sounded out throughout the region, and many other churches started because of the church at Ephesus. Uh, Colossae was one of them. The church at Colossae was a church that Paul had never been to, but that started out of men that went out from Ephesus and went up to Colossae and preached the gospel, and that church started. Uh, we have churches in Galatia. We have churches throughout Asia Minor. And a lot of the towns, a lot of the places that you'll see where uh, Paul went, churches were started. Oftentimes, he was only there for a very short time. And yet, churches, people were one, baptized, and started. We don't have a history of all those. Uh, we don't have names of all those, but we see churches in those different places. As you read the accounts, you just, you know, just talk about a church in an area or disciples in an area. And if there were disciples in an area, guess what they were a part of? They were a part of a church because that's what they did. Uh, they weren't just lone rangers. They were part of, of churches that were started. So there's a connection between, between churches, uh, but there is an independency. Um, when we talk about a church being independent, we'll use the word autonomous. which means self-rule. Are these notes, I may have taken some of these out of your notes just to try to condense it onto one page. Uh, but autonomous means self-rule. Uh, sovereignty means that there's no higher rule. And this is, a, when we use these terms, it's with the understanding of what scriptural church government is, is that we, is the headship of Christ. Uh, we're always under the headship of Christ. He is the sovereign over our church. When we talk about no higher rule, so we don't recognize the government having any rule over our church. We don't recognize another church having a rule over our church. We don't recognize other pastors having a rule over our church. Uh, there's no higher rule 
on earth, if you want to put it that way, no higher rule on earth than the local church, overlook the local church. And so we're sovereign and we're independent. Uh, there's no other rule. We're not dependent upon other entities to keep us going, keep us living. And we'll talk about uh, missionaries. And we'll talk about indigenous church planting. What is an indigenous church? What does indigenous mean? Anything about indigenous, what comes to your mind? Local people. I mean, what might come to your mind is uh, Indians. <laughs> you know, uh, that might come to your mind, but it's, it's because we use that term to describe here the local people in a particular area uh, that was there before Europeans came. Maybe we'll talk about the indigenous people in an area. Uh, so an indigenous church is one made up of the people in that area. They're supported by the people in that area, the people that are in the church. Uh, they're ruled by themselves. They support themselves. They govern themselves. And they're an indigenous church. They're not supported by uh, American money. Uh, so you have a... You think about a church in... Uh, Jamaica, pick Jamaica. Jamaica is a there's quite a quite a range of, of wealth in Jamaica, uh, from those that live in in tin shacks, just some you got some wood sticks and a piece of tin on the side of a road, and that's what they live in, and they go out and eat, you know chop down their mangoes and bananas or other things. They they just kind of eat off the land and raise a raise some chickens, raise some hogs, uh, raise some goats, and just kind of subsist. I mean, subsistence living. They go out every day, and they pray, give us this day our daily bread, because they don't have cupboards. They go out, and they, and they make their food. Uh, so you have a group like that. In southern Mexico, in Chiapas, there's, there's many like that. Every, every morning, uh, you have the, the women going out, gathering firewood, and starting a fire in their, in their house, you know, in the kitchen, starting a wood fire on the ground in their house, and their roof is kind of open so the smoke, smoke goes out, and they'll make a fire, and while they're doing that, the, the men are out um, finding food, getting, gathering food up, or killing a chicken, and they'll bring that in, and they'll, they'll make the food, and they'll go out every day to, to get their food. So you have believers like that, and when they meet, they're meeting in a, uh, a building that's just a tarp or just a wooden boards sitting on and wooden boards for the, for the side walls, and they're meeting there. How much money does that church need to survive? And not, that doesn't take much. I mean, the, the families are living. They're providing for themselves. They, they tithe and provide for their pastor. They don't need a whole lot. They don't need uh, $1,000 a month coming in from an American church uh, to support the pastor. Uh, it's just it's not needed. But, but there are hundreds of churches like that around the world. 
maybe thousands of churches like that, where you have uh, a pastor, could be a local pastor, being supported by money that's, I mean, 10, 20 times higher than the average income of those in that area. And they're just bringing this, this money in, living very wealthy. Or you have an American missionary there uh, living very rich to their standards, not to maybe American standards. Maybe they're just living to the regular standard of someone living in a wildwood. But if you're living on the standard of someone living in a wildwood and you're living down in, in Chiapas, Mexico, you are, you are filthy rich. You are rich. Uh, and you don't need to live that way. And so you have pastors like that, and they have all this American money, and they have all kinds of people coming to the church, not because they want to worship God, but because there's American money there, and there's food there, and there's all these other things that come in, and it's not really, they're not supporting themselves. Uh, they're, they're just living off of, of others. Uh, so churches need to be independent. They support themselves, they provide for themselves, and they go out and, and seek out the lost and preach the gospel. And there are, uh, thankfully, thousands of churches like that, rich and poor, that are doing just that. They don't need a lot of money. I came in contact with a man. If we would pray for him, his name is Peter. Uh, I have his name up on the pulpit. I was going to mention his name later. I can't pronounce his, his first name. His last name, is, I believe, is Peter. Uh, He's in Uganda on a little island there in Lake Victoria. Uh, saved man, no church there, so he started preaching the gospel and, and no training, uh, knows very little. I mean, he's, he's trying to learn and he's, 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 he's growing, uh, but just meeting in his house. And then his house got too small. Uh, meeting outside under the veranda. Now they, I think they have about 50 people gathering. He sent me a picture this morning. Have about 50 people gathered there, and they just make do with what they have. And they don't need um, all kinds of American money coming in, but they're doing the work that God's called them to do with what they have. Uh, so we're to be independent. Uh, there are limits to independency. The Word of God limits us. We're not independent of God's word. That's our absolute authority. We can't choose what we want to do and how we want to do it outside of the word of God, contrary to the word of God. So the word of God limits us. The Great Commission limits us. That's our mission. Uh, So we can't just go out and do whatever we want if it has nothing to do with what God's called us to do. God hasn't called us to uh, start a store. I'll just do that, you know, start a thrift store, let's say. Now, could a thrift store be used to fulfill the Great Commission? Probably, if it was done right. You know, could that be a means? Could that be a method that's used, that a church could use in order to fulfill the Great Commission? It could be. Maybe not a thrift store, maybe just a, uh, a free thing. Uh, or you're not making money, or you're not making profit off from it. Could you use those things? You can. But there are churches that they have whole businesses that really have nothing to do with the Great Commission. It's just a money-making business. 
So the Great Commission limits us. Uh, the law of the land, to some extent, and we'll put it that way, because we see in, in Acts, we see where uh, Peter and John would say, is it, it's better to obey God rather than men. You're telling us we can't preach, we can't teach in the name of Jesus. We're told to preach in the name of Jesus. We're told that we have the Great Commission. We're going to obey God rather than men. But if you would look over at 1 Peter 4, In verse number 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Uh, There are obvious laws in the land that we can't just violate. Uh, There's a a line that we might at times be hard to figure out which side to stand on. You probably encountered that when building this building. I wasn't here. But there were probably times when building this building where the law or the city or the state said, this needs to happen, and does it need to actually happen or not, or is it just they're trying to get money or they're trying to exert more power? I don't know. I wasn't here, so you may not have experienced that. Uh, But there are times, I know during the pandemic, uh, the governments would say uh, churches can't meet. Well, that, that's, they're overstepping their authority. Uh, and so we don't need to follow, follow that. But if they say if you're going to meet in a building, uh, it can't be a fire hazard. It can't have holes in the roof and the roof about ready to cave in because it's not safe. Well, that's just kind of common sense stuff. That's stuff even God puts in the Bible. If you're going to build a house and you're going to have a flat roof and access to the roof, uh, put a handrailing around it so that no one falls off. God's concerned with safety. Uh, so there are some laws that, that it's, it's not a problem submitting ourselves to those things because it's just common sense. But there are other laws that we have to say no to. So, but there are limits to being independent. Number three, interaction between the churches of Jerusalem and Antioch. We see uh, in Acts 15, we see the interaction between these two churches. The issue was, I'm going to give you the first two points first, and then I'm going to discuss these because they, they are connected. Issue is not doctrinal. Issue is practical. And yet, Practice affects doctrine. Uh, there was a, a doctrinal issue that was settled. There was a practical issue with the customs of Gentile believers in their, as Gentiles, things that they were used to doing that were offensive to Jews or to Jewish Christians. I'll put it that way, to, to the Jewish believers things that were offensive, things that weren't necessarily wrong, but they needed to be dealt with. Uh, There were doctrinal issues as well, uh, as it related to salvation by works. Those things were dealt with. But there's this issue going on between these two churches, and the church at Antioch sent men to Jerusalem to, to figure it out, to say, listen, what's going on here? These men are coming down, they're preaching these things, saying these things, saying we ought to practice certain things. 
and they worked those things out in the church at Jerusalem. The only authority that they had was to write a letter. They couldn't force the, the Gentile churches to follow their customs. They couldn't force them to not do things that weren't offensive to Jewish believers. They had no authority to do those things. But they could write, and they could request, and a request was made to show deference to Jewish believers. But that's all the authority that they had. Uh, they could not force them to do anything. So, well, that's the, that's the first church. That's the mother church. That's the church that, that Jesus built. Didn't they have more authority? They had no extra authority. They were just a church. Just like the church of Antioch, just like the churches in Galatia, just like the church at Colossae, the church at Thessalonica, it had no more authority than those other churches. Uh, so they wrote and they requested that there was deference to be, to be shown. In Revelation 2 and 3, we see Christ addressing the seven churches of Asia, and he dealt with them individually. There's no example of any church exercising any command or control over another church in the Bible. We don't see that. We don't see uh, churches controlling other churches. We see them working with each other. Letter C is interdependency. Uh, independence is not being isolated. It's not isolationism. The church is communicated with one another. They were grouped regionally. We see the churches of Galatia. We see the churches of Asia. You would assume that they fellowshiped together. In fact, they did because we, we, see, we see that at the end of Paul's letters, the end of 1 Corinthians, the end of Romans. You see them writing and, and communicating back and forth and, and giving greetings one to another. And those that traveled from one place to another, men that were at one church, we see them later on at another church, working in another church. So there was uh, communication between them. There was cooperation between them. Uh, so they were grouped uh, regionally. They supported evangelists from other churches. Second Corinthians 11, uh, Philippians 4. We see them supporting other men from other churches. Uh, they cooperated financially. There was a financial need there in Jerusalem is the kind of the big one that we see uh, mentioned as, as well as the Great Commission um, efforts. But they cooperated. They, they provided for each other. It was all voluntary. It wasn't required. It uh, wasn't necessary. They weren't forced to do those things. But they, they helped one another when, when they could. And they in, enjoyed doing that. And they rejoiced when they were able uh, to do that. Uh, churches sent men uh, back and forth to each other. They sent men as messengers uh, to other churches. They, they fellowshiped with each other. So just being independent does not mean we are to be isolated from other, other churches. We are to, to be a part of other, you know, we have the responsibility. If there were no other churches, we'd have the responsibility, the authority, and the, the power to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, the Great Commission would be ours alone to fulfill. When we have other churches, we can partner with them and seeing work done in other areas. We don't have any men that we've sent out into, into the world. 
but we have other churches that have sent men and we're able to support them, partner with those churches and support those men, support those ministries and see the gospel go out in, in Canada and Mexico and, and Cuba, Argentina, uh, Chile, Germany, you know, Pakistan, Bangladesh, uh, Papua New Guinea, Thailand, uh, China. We can be a part of those men and be a part of those ministries because we're not isolated from them. We're not the only ones alive. Okay, God has planted, uh, started many churches around the world. He's a part of many churches, and it's important that we can be a part of what we can and, and pray, for, pray for them as well. Anything that needs to be filled in that I went too fast, you didn't, didn't catch it, or uh, any questions or comments? To show deference. A request was made to show deference to Jewish believers. Any others? Blanks on that. All right. We 